Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kampstra. Hi, everybody. And Ashley Lai. Welcome, campers. And tonight we have a special guest with us, Daniel W. Yee. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here and talk nerdy with you. All right, I'm here for it. Tyler, what is happening? All right, well, tonight we're talking to Daniel W. Yee about Camp Dragon Online. So we'll we'll get into what that is in just a second. Uh, Daniel is the creative director, head dungeon master, project manager, game designer, and head writer at American Immersion Theater, which, if I understand things correctly, runs Camp Dragon Online. Do I have that right, Daniel? That's correct. It's it's a weird thing where I, I assume that's like a poll from LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, of course, is like <laughs> a really weird website in a lot of ways, where most of those titles really just apply to Camp Dragon, but that's not really like an official LinkedIn kind of company to put up on there. So in order to just connect it properly, I just said American Immersion Theater, but um, the it. wider <laughs> murder mystery things a lot of American Immersion Theater does usually falls under another purview for creative directing, et cetera. It's really just for Camp Dragon, but ultimately those are a lot of the things I do for Camp Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what, like six different hats. So yeah, you're very It busy. is a lot of hats. <laughs> I have traded off a couple of those. Um, we do have a dungeon master now who has taken on a lot of the writing duties who I would probably call the head writer now more than me but i did i still probably have written the majority of our adventures so i'll leave that i'll leave that on there for now as like a little little reminder of what i once did <laughs> sounds good all right well can you give us uh, just an elevator pitch what is camp dragon online sure so camp dragon online is a centralized place where you can sign up and quickly find a way to jump in at that very early level that level one quickly find a community without having to wait for other people to figure out their schedules. I mean, that's one of the biggest, it's one of the biggest things about D and D is that you always have to rely on everyone else's scheduling every single little thing, whether it's, you know, as people grow on in life, a lot of people start D and D when they're younger. And then all of a sudden you have more adult responsibilities, whether it be family or studies or work and all of those things conflicting at camp dragon. Instead, you just sign up, you sit down and you're like, Hey, there's a game starting tonight. It's the right level for me with a dm i like here's some people i might already know let me just sign up and i jump right into the game then we track your character sheet information your character information over all of your characters and we essentially at the end of the day we're a big scheduling platform with dungeon masters and adventures that we've proofed and that we've done quality assurance on which is probably the biggest difference between us and other um, services is that we do a lot of our internal quality assurance and you know it's it's a very centralized versus like decentralized kind of setup all right so i have to ask the question how do you quality assure a dungeon master it's hard and unfortunately the it is one of those things where it's it feels very qualitative versus quantitative when you first start out because you might have somebody who's like i've been a dungeon master for 12 years and they've only played DD about once every fiscal quarter for like the past 12 <laughs> years versus somebody who's like hey i've been a dungeon master for like 18 months but they're playing twice a week they're really getting the time in they're they're learning about different people they're not just playing for the exact same group every single time uh, because you know you might be a really great dungeon master for your play group 
but you really only know how to deal with the people at that particular table. You don't know how to deal with random people coming off the street, um, which is a lot of what our Dungeon Masters deal with. They deal with a lot of people coming in for their very first D&D game. Maybe they saw Stranger Things or Critical Role or even not necessarily an actual D&D game, or, but they saw like the Critical Role cartoon show. And they were like, wow, that seems cool. It's based off of Dungeons and Dragons. I've always wanted to play it. You know, when I grew up, it was it was like Satan's game. So I never tried D&D. <laughs> but, you know, now, like, the Internet's a thing. And I can finally, because we have people that are in their um, 70s and 80s who have played with us, all the way to people who are 18 and 19 or, like, maybe they're in school or they're just out of high school and they're working. They're like, I really want to do D&D. Um, but, you know, so one of the things we have our interview process, um, they also have to submit a small audition tape. And it's it's a very small, like two minute kind of situation. We also look for their proficiency with the Roll Twenty virtual tabletop. A lot of the people have a lot of opinions on what is the best virtual tabletop for us. Roll Twenty's got a lot of accessibility that we like, and that's the reason we use it the most. Obviously, there's ones you can go way more in depth in or are more user friendly, but Roll Twenty has the most bases that have hit for us, and so that's why we use Roll Twenty as our as our big website. So we check for proficiency with that. But the little script we have, you know, we throw in things like, hey, like, do like do they get tongue tied over this thing? Like we throw in a little bit of a tongue twister. We see if they have different they embody the characters differently when they're doing different characters. Not necessarily like they do crazy voices. We're not really looking for like people who are going to be bona fide voice actors because they'll probably try to spend most of their time being a voice actor instead of trying to be a dungeon master with us. Um, that means saying we do have people who do a little bit of everything on the side, whether write, perform, voice act, but we just see if they, if they treat the characters differently. And it's, it's a lot of different things that are really crazy, but at the end of the day, it's very much case by case basis. I meet and train and interview each one directly. And sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it does. Yeah, I found that I'm I'm actually really good at voicing different characters as long as all of those characters sound exactly like Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe one of the Gollum girls. <laughs> hey, you know you, your strengths, buddy. <laughs> do you have a favorite golden really? girl they sound like? Uh, <laughs> we go Dorothy, but we're not right now. Not right now. Now's not the time. I'm, I'm waiting. I want to hear it later. I need to hear a Dorothy impression later. <laughs> We're going to put he that in does a, He also does a really good Scruffy the janitor. Oh, okay. He does. Yeah, he, right. does do, he does do a really good Scruffy. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear that. I want to hear that before the end of the night. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I, yeah, this time, there's so much time. Yeah. Well, sometimes he just surprises us with it in the outro. <laughs> um, so, Daniel, it, it sounds like Camp Dragon like has this very much together like you you know what you're doing this is up and running successfully so how uh well we'd like to think that we know what we're doing though in some ways we do in some ways we're definitely still learning um originally i was hired to run camp dragon back in the summer slash early fall of 2020 um at the time the founder slash owner scott crampton had an idea where he was like hey so my murder mystery company because of the pandemic all these actors are going to be out of work the company's going to go under that's terrible and we still want to entertain people because at that point, everyone wanted entertainment. They were going to their Netflix, their Hulu, everything. At that point, virtual D&D was also becoming really, really big at the time. Like online sites like Foundry, um, like uh, Worldforge uh, or World Anvil, I think that's what it's called. They saw explosions of, of business and people using their websites. He was like, hey, what if we did that? Since I do virtual murder mysteries, what if we did virtual D&D games and we made it, you know, we made them a little bit shorter to make it more accessible um, and we found at the time our original game length was two and a half hours for a full-fledged one shot. 
And that's not a lot of time to do combat, really get into a story, et cetera. But we've since stretched them out to four hours, as well as having a game that's not necessarily just a one single four hour one shot, but instead like something that takes four or five weeks, like more like a traditional D&D one shot or even small mini campaign, mini series might be. Um, those tend to be a little more digestible than the hard and fast, like, hey, here's the adventure. We're going to railroad you through it. It's a cool story. It's a cool puzzle. <laughs> here's an interesting combat and you're done, which is a lot of our beginning sort of stumbling blocks. But ultimately, since 2020 is when we started getting the website designed, which the entire website was a, a big snafu from the get go and actually has a very hilarious story behind it. If you'd like to if you'd like to hear it at some point tonight. But yeah, definitely. Um, we didn't start games until after we ran a Kickstarter in spring of 2021. And so the games have pretty much been running since that early, late spring, early fall of 2021 up till then. So we've had two, uh, two anniversaries of like our first game starting since then. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been fun. Yeah. So I, I'd love to dig into the player experience here. So looking at camp dragon online as a, as a prospective player of like i'm looking at this and thinking okay this could be a way that i see myself playing D, either as an experienced player or as a novice player either or so it, it sounds like you're only doing dungeons and dragons is there any particular reason you've chosen to do just one system yes uh we we do actually have a dream of someday being to expand to a bunch of different systems as well as older editions of D D and hopefully also playing them in multiple languages because right now all of our games are in english and so we we'd like this because our big thing is like tabletop role playing is so much fun we want it to be as accessible as possible while also being able to pay our rent um so <laughs> which is why it isn't free um it is it is paid because you know everybody's got bills but uh, and right now it's because at that time fifth edition was one of the more popular ones it was it also felt in terms of the rules of play styles the easiest to access while still being within a rule system like i i grew up with 3.5 um and i loved 3.5 i loved being able to construct a character and absolutely fine-tune every single little aspect of them to build a demigod or a bumbling <laughs> fool that just always gets lucky every single time no matter what happens and some people really like that and that's why a lot of people still play pathfinder or three point or older new pathfinder is a little different than old pathfinder but both are still equally as awesome um, but we found it's the most approachable especially for people who are a little bit nervous about getting into d the first time obviously in the gaming community there's been a lot of gatekeeping over the years about like oh you just don't understand and some people are like oh it's a lot of reading it's a lot of math um, and so fifth edition seemed the easiest to be able to slowly ease people into who were very nervous about trying it. It was very approachable in a lot of ways. And we also tried to mirror that approach with sort of our intro sessions where we have a crash course we take people through in our character creation sessions where they get to control a level five character for a little bit before then actually being presented with their level one character sheet that they then get to construct step by step. And we found it's sort of like those kind of video games where you have all of the powers at the beginning of the game and they get taken away and you actually get to learn how to use those powers bit by bit. Sort of a similar concept where like level five, that's not all the powers even remotely. <laughs> it's, <Yeah>. it's, but <laughs> compared to a level one character, it's a lot of stuff. Um, and it's also some for some characters, the first time they start to feel truly powerful, at least in fifth edition. But like I said, I love other editions of d and I also love other game styles like Blades in the Dark or... I even tried um, Imp of the Perverse, uh, some of those other ones. I did some beta testing for Evil Hat games. I, I love different styles, and we'd love to have them. In fact, we're working right now on seeing if we can incorporate other stories. 
But one of the reasons we also stuck with 5th edition is because at the time, since I was the founder, I knew 5th edition the best. I knew it pretty ins and outs, and we were able to construct modules that a lot of people could play at that same level without being like, oh, this gets broken because you showed up with an Aarakocra character, and now flying has completely destroyed the entire meta of this adventure. So we did our best to make it so that as long as the players were level appropriate, that it would still be challenging or at least very least interesting. Because, you know, even if even if you end up cakewalking through the entire adventure by just blasting all the enemies aside, if at the very least it's interesting, you'll want to play it again or introduce other people to it. And so 5th edition at that time, you know, I'd love to have written adventures for 3.5 or Pathfinder, but at the time I wasn't confident enough in my knowledge of those systems to be able to do that. But as we've continued to expand our hiring and our Dungeon Master pool continues to fluctuate, if we had people, and we do, we do currently have people in development to talk about either older editions of D&D or even things like Starfinder and Pathfinder um, and seeing if we could expand to those. It also depends, like, depending on who made the system and who currently owns the rights to the system, running paid games in that system or writing adventures in that system, sometimes, depending on who owns the rights to it, can be a little, you know, not to name any names, but can be a little confrontational. <laughs> and obviously, we just had all the issues with the OGL. Um, which wouldn't have actually affected us too much since we don't publish any of our adventures externally. So most of those rules wouldn't apply to us. Some of them would have in terms of doing D&D stuff in general. But yeah, so that's the only real reason we've stuck with Fission. I knew it very well, and it seemed very approachable to players at the time. So are all of the uh, games that you that you guys offer on your system, uh, on your website, homebrew, custom-written adventures, or do you do published adventures, or how does that work? So that's actually really interesting. In the early days, we were going to do a mix of both. One, because we were worried about having too much of a burnout with the writers at the time, just me, um, in addition to running and managing the rest of the company, training everybody, writing an adventure every single week. Um, it's one thing to run a D&D game every week. It's another one to run a D&D game that you're going to publish for other people to run every single week. And to like make sure that even though your players didn't take this option, that that option is fully written out and explored, tested, etc. So in the beginning, we actually started out, we bought a bunch of adventures off Roll20, like you know, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, lots of lots of stuff to cannibalize there. We bought Mites of Endelver, an absolute classic. At a time, for the most part, we sort of tried to shift them to meld them to the universe we were building. And there were a lot of crossovers. So one of the gimmicks of Camp Dragon, so to speak, or one of our hooks, is that we have cut scenes for a lot of our adventures. Live action scenes that are acted out by actors and actresses as sort of these DM NPCs that give you the quest hook and then send you off. And then once you come back, they're like, yeah, you did it. Here's the reward. And in the early days, I wasn't actually part of the writing team for those cutscenes. Um, essentially, we would get the cutscene and then have to fit in an adventure to fit the cutscene. So we'd get the cutscene <laughs> and then afterwards we'd write write the adventure to it, which sometimes you might feel you're getting boxed in a corner or the adventure has a very specific ending. You're like, how do I get the players to this specific ending? What if they don't want to do that? Um, and so... And for the next couple of iterations of cutscenes we filmed, we had a much closer conversation with the writing team for those cutscenes, and things started to shift in the direction people liked a lot more, where it was either more open-ended in terms of like they didn't specify how the adventure was completed. And at that point, well before any of the Watsi OGL business or anything of that nature, we actually, of our own accord, decided, hey, you know, this isn't always these pre-written adventures. We're trying not to shift them too much because we wanted to honor the people who wrote them. 
but they're not always gelling as well when people then try to go back into our adventures. Also, it's hard if people want to take one path in an adventure, but the adventure we've written next takes them down a different path as opposed to being very open-ended. Now with our arc system where you have like a four or five week adventure, that'd be a lot easier to cannibalize like a pre-written module of some kind. And But at this point, everything has been homebrewed in terms of the world setting. We have a big lore document that we're about to also add to the website itself so people can read it casually. We have our own Pantheon. Sometimes we're like, yeah, we still reference Tiamat and Bahamut in the Pantheon, um, but they're like minor deities instead of our like prime nine plus an extra true neutral apotheotic wizard that like became a god through just being a, a super nerd, which that's all <laughs> we want, right? That eventually yeah. if we're super nerds, we'll become gods. I keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about the idea that when I first come in, if I'm a player that doesn't know the game, I can do this intro session and learn to build a character. That sounds awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Once I get through that, or if I'm signing on for the first time as an experienced player, what kind of choices am I making about the game that I join? So for instance, let's say I have a session and I love my DM. Can I actually search and try to get back into a game with that particular DM? Let's say I join with a group of strangers and I enjoy the strangers. Can I play with that same party again in the future? Can I pick the tones like, hey, I'm looking for you know, some jokers. I'm looking for folks who really love to get into the role play aspect. What are the options that are in front of me when I'm looking for a game? So that's actually really funny. You've touched on some things that we do right now that we do have an answer for and some things that have been on our wish list for a long time. Our wish list is players who are able to sort of choose the tone of the dungeon master and the party they're looking for. We've been really wanting to make tags like that for a long time. We saw them do something similar to that on Demiplane in the very, very early days of it when it, there wasn't even really, it was just a website about here are the creators, here are our plans. They were like, we're going to put tags on things. I was like, that sounds cool. We should do that when we make our website. And obviously it's a lot different now over there. I really like looking at their Nexus system as I do a plug for a completely different website. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like the creative team there too. But so one thing we do is that everyone goes, everyone starts at level one. We might change that in the future for some more experienced players, but right now everyone starts in that same neutral ground. They start at level one and we have the option where you can either do just a standalone character creation session, which are free. Um, and then, you know, it's that first taste is free kind of mentality. And then we're like, <laughs> but if you want to play the D&D, but we also have special introductory sessions where the character creation actually during that session goes straight into one of our campaigns, whether it be one of our four to five week arcs or our this is a self-contained four hour one shot. And we have both types. We have about sort of three different one shots and two different arcs that you can start with as your level one experience. If you do one of the one shots, you'll probably end the game at level two and then you'll move on to more one shots in that level two to three um, nebulous area. If you finish, if you take the arc through the four to five weeks, you usually end that particular arc at level three. And then after that progression, we have two more arcs following each of those earlier adventures. So essentially two sets of three, four to five week adventures each, which, you know, takes you three or four months at that point. And they take you all the way from one to level five. Um, and then things start to get a little more linear, but it's because we've been reworking our writing system as well as the adventures open to people. And how it mostly works is you can absolutely find the dungeon master that you're looking for. You can be like, hey, like I want to search for this dungeon master on the website, see what games they're running. It's a little harder to search by player because we want to protect individual players' privacy. Also because um, in the world of D&D, 
uh, it's becoming a lot more mainstream, but sometimes people get a little obsessive as nerds and sometimes they place that obsession on other people. So we want it to be as safe as possible with our clientele. We do, we make very careful to like not show people's names they register with. We don't require them to register with their full legal name. Some person registered as like super, uh, super exhausted raccoon was their name. And that was the name <laughs> of like their account. Uh, not, not including because we have a name they sign up with and then a username because we track them in our system via their name, but their username they can change and they can mold with. And it's just a series of letters and numbers. So that's how those work. But the way we usually keep parties or dungeon masters together is once a game has finished, the dungeon master will run that game at the same time each week, but not the same game. Usually they'll then move it to the next um, step in the story. Um, so we have adventures from levels one all the way up to 20. If you play them all the way through, it probably takes you about level one to 20. If you're playing every single or once a week, that character will probably level up from level one to 20 after about a year and a half if you play every single weekend, which, you know, that's probably a lot faster than most campaigns. But essentially, we go in sort of like one month is about a lot. So it's, it's really just it's about 20 months or so. Uh, but those first couple ones usually are put together. So we also give players who are in that group the chance to sign up first before other players, before it's opened up to the rest of the sort of general population of our of our group. If you play in a group and you like that group, you'll have first crack at signing up for the same time game next week, the next step in that story, before anyone else does. There's a couple other things we do internally on the website that try to sort of streamline that, um, but that's generally the gist of it. And I, I like what you're describing here. So if I was in a situation where I, I am a weekly player, I'm in the same group, and most of the same group are coming week in, week out, I have to miss a particular week. It sounds like I could schedule with somebody else try to find like a makeup session uh either the you know the week before i'm out or the week after i'm out that way when i i roll to that next week i'm ready to go that's correct uh generally what we have is we try to run games at different times during the week that are similar in nature so that way if you needed to jump in jump out you absolutely could uh, it could be a different day during the week um you're like hey i don't even need to make up a week before or after uh if you do have that whole week blocked off that's that's sad that you don't get D and D that weekend. I, <laughs> I'm sorry, but generally we try to make it so that way you'd be able to jump back in with your group. Sometimes, if that's a very popular DM, and you didn't have, they didn't have a way to import that previous game. Like if you didn't let your DM know that you'd be gone for a week, and they just had no idea where you were. Sometimes another enterprising player who really likes that dungeon master is appropriate, who then fills in your seat for that next coming week then might try to keep your seat in the next week. But if you do clearly communicate with your Dungeon Master, hey, it's just a bye week for me, I will be coming next, back next, we have a way of importing previous week's attendance. Frankly, all of our we are able to import the attendance of any of our games into a future game, and then you have the option of accepting that offer. Like, hey, let's say that you 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 missed a week, and you know, you're going to have a bye week, and then you're going to come back the next week. For that next week's game, they actually import the game that you were last in, and they put a 48-hour wait period on it so for 48 hours you'll have an email sitting in your box saying hey if you want to sign up for that future game not the game that you missed but the future game you go ahead and click the link it'll automatically buy it for you and register you for that slot but after those 48 hours are up that hold uh drop like falls away and anyone can now sign up for the game we're having a little bit of issues with some of those things for very certain game types but it's a little more niche and doesn't really apply to too many people and so we've we found other ways to get around it. But for the most part, that system works very, very well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I want to jump back to something you said earlier. So you mentioned that you run games all the way up to level 20, which is 
uh, an experience that people spend a lot of time chasing but never actually Mm -hmm. manage to uh, achieve partially because games frequently fall apart Mm -hmm. um so so let's say like i'm i'm with a group i like we're playing for for a while you know i'm attached to my character i'm like level 10 or whatever i'm like we might go to level 20 everyone's excited and then people's schedules start falling apart uh i can't keep playing with the same group for whatever reason or maybe maybe the dm leaves camp dragon for whatever reason mm-hmm. can i essentially continue that character's story with a different group with a different dm or like could our group find a new dm like it, how easy is it to keep rolling with that same character and maybe actually take them all the way to 20 that's a fantastic question and to be fair that is one of the issues we occasionally encounter um as we continue you know especially since we do have a lot of performance based people sometimes they're like hey you know i personally i live in chicago and we had a couple other chicago dungeon masters and they're like hey i just got a bit on chicago fire or the chai and i don't foresee myself returning to this position because it's gonna pay me a lot and i don't think i'll have the schedule for this anymore and i'm like hey i totally understand um wish you the best if you ever want to come back on like a short-term basis or if we're like running an event for a convention like let me know we'll probably have extra games that need running um for instance we just had a dungeon master who've been working with us for about uh over a year and they recently moved on to another opportunity and we managed to find dungeon masters existing both ones that we were just about to hire as well as some of our full-timers were able to pick up their games to ensure a seamless transition um but it does sadly it doesn't always happen like that and sometimes we do have players that take a hiatus um and they're like hey i didn't really know where to go from there it didn't seem like everybody was matching exactly my level Uh, which is why we actually accept dungeon masters who apply with us on a rolling basis because we're always looking for people to fill either character like certain time slots because you know nobody wants to work at 7 p.m on a saturday because they want to go do whatever they want it's it's that whole weekend night shift mentality that a lot of places struggle with and so we find a lot of people who are willing to give up their saturday sunday friday nights uh and play dnd because everyone's like yeah i want to play dnd on a tuesday I got nothing else going on at that time during the week. <laughs> Tuesday is my night, but we struggle with the weekend slot sometimes. And so finding people who can then take over that slot or experience, they know how to deal with high level players. Cause that is also the thing. So many people go around chasing that level 20, a dragon, uh, not pun intended, um, <laughs> but never really get there. So a lot of people, you know, they really play between levels of one and 10. And sometimes if we throw a brand new dungeon master with us, at least they might've been a DM for 10 years. Um, and they're like, that was my first taste of level 17 and I did not like it. I wasn't aware of the stat blocks as well as I could have been. So I didn't really know how to stop the players pushing around my monsters. I didn't realize I had immunity to half the stuff the players were doing. So I didn't read the stat block close enough. So it tends to be a lot of that. And even the most prepared person, frankly, players are so creative that they'll just throw you for a loop regardless. They'll come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. And we also introduced a very dynamic crafting system to camp dragon it, it is it is unfortunately you can't just do it on the website you do have to talk with your dungeon master in person um, but it allows you to do all kinds of crazy things like making some items finesse or give reach or make some items a heavy or two-handed item that wouldn't normally be it to qualify for certain features and it could be a lot of fun or making it oversized so it requires two hands and it gets an extra d4 whatever it might be so there's lots of surprises as well so if you're somebody who's just memorized the entire dfg and you're not expecting to see anything new I wouldn't recommend being a dungeon master with us unless you're willing to roll with the fact that we've got like pages and pages of optional crafting that removes immunity from poison 
but then adds like an extra D8 of radiant damage at the same time. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's the very tough thing that happens with so many D&D groups. And it does happen with us occasionally, but we try to, if people communicate with us, we do our best to take steps to make sure that, you know, you don't suddenly disappear into the ether um, or that you find a better time slot. One of our big things is our DMs are also player advocates. And so they do our best, their best, excuse me, our, yeah, I guess our best to find a new time slot for players, especially if they don't have their old time slot anymore. So related to that, um, let's say I'm a aspiring dungeon master. This sounds very cool. How do I apply to become a dungeon master working for Camp Dragon Online? Sure. Uh, I will say that we definitely look for people who have experience. If you don't have any experience as a dungeon master, it's probably not the best fit. We have a lot of people who are very old hats here. We have people who, you know, grew up with the red box or even I think the the, the blue box at one point. We have people who their only experience with D&D is watching Critical Role or Dimension 20 um, or Adventure zone which is all, all 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 wonderful things to watch personally i'm a fan of each one of those things better fan of some of the others just because of the exposure but i like i like what they're doing at every single one and all of the other ones out there as well uh i would say that we actually have very easily on our website if you go to resources after you just get to the main page there's a little bit that says hiring and you just click on the hiring button send us your information submit your small video where it it seems very simple, but we actually I'd actually do nitpick every single little thing that happens in it. Which I mean, if you mispronounce a word, that's fine. I don't care if you mispronounce a word, but it's also very clear if somebody has like worked on their take more than once versus just rattling it off on audition video and sending in the very first thing they stumbled across. It, it can be very telling. But I would say that enthusiasm um, and preparation are the biggest things. Then we do an in person interview. After that, there's a significant amount of training less training to be a dungeon master that's probably the one thing we don't train on we look for people who know how to be a dungeon master already but if it's somebody who needs to know roll 20 a little better we'll help coach you on roll 20 knowing roll 20 really well is a good boon but we will coach you on how to use roll 20 to the very basic stuff in terms of what you need like you don't need to make all kinds of different crazy macros because we'll usually make that for you and allow you to steal them but you know somebody who knows their stuff backwards and forwards because we've We've interviewed people who did really great, and occasionally people would make it through our process. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting emails from players who are like, hey, so I know I'm normally very quiet and polite, but I really just had to vent my frustration at this DM because they wouldn't allow me to use a spell scroll because I'm not a wizard, but it's in my class's spell list. I'm like, well, you should be able to do that. And they're like, it is said because I'm not a wizard. I can't use a scroll. And I was like, "That's there seems to be a gap in knowledge here that we should probably address with that dungeon master. And sometimes that'll happen. Usually we back up our dungeon masters when it comes down to the DM has the final say. If you don't agree with it, just please, you can discuss it. But if the DM puts their foot down, please move on from there and we can address it after the game. Because other people have also paid for this time and they just want to move the game forward. Generally, we try to be like, hey, we understood that something happened during the game. Let's try to fix it with the discussion about and at least everybody happy. And generally that works out. Some people don't. And to be fair, we usually don't have to have too many conversations with people that don't like the way we play because they usually self-select out at that point. Um, they're like, well, I just don't have to be here anymore. I'm like, that is very true. And I <laughs> wish you the best as long as you weren't very, very rude to us. But it is, it is a knowledge thing. We do have DMs who have had all different kinds of experience at all different kinds of systems. But yeah, the website is the easiest place to apply. And then following up on actually sending in the audition tape is probably the biggest thing. So we get a lot of applications and I can see each one. I get a notification for every single application. But then not everybody actually follows up and sends in the tape, which is why also generally how people weed out like people who want to become an actor. 
Um, and then they don't want to ever send an audition tape or physically go to audition. It's a really easy way to weed out everybody who wants to just get rich and famous off being an actor. Same thing with the Dungeon Master. It's one thing to be a DM with your friends. It's another thing to be a DM with strangers who, in a weird way, are kind of judging you the whole time and who really want you to succeed. But also, at the same time, a lot of those players think, I could probably do this. Yeah. <laughs> but then they won't. Yeah. What is the advantage to working for Camp Dragon Online as opposed to, say, you know, doing a paid game on Roll20 or like I personally do paid games on uh, startplaying.game? So what's, uh, what's the advantage there? Yeah, Start Playing Games is a wonderful website. I really like it. Uh, for a brief while before I started working with Camp Dragon, I was actually considering putting my own stuff on there as well. The big thing would probably just be the biggest advantage is that all the adventures are pre-made. Um, and so you don't have to put that extra time into making the game each week, every week at a professional level. We provide all of the assets on Roll20. They've all been purchased by us. You don't need to invest in anything as a Dungeon Master with us outside of what you've already put in as a DM over the years. You don't need to buy anything to work with us, which is the big thing. Also, we pay weekly. If the game runs, you get paid. It doesn't matter how many people sign up for the game. If the, that game runs, you get paid a flat rate. You also are able to get tipped, which is really nice. I'm not aware of Star Playing Games does extra tips on the side besides the game fee. I, I think so. I don't know. I think so, yeah. yeah so we incorporated so. tipping as well. Um, there are certain bonuses for things as well, like if people sign up for your next game before you finish the paperwork for the night, you get a small headhunter fee for each one of those people. We also offer uh, significant payouts for people who write adventures for us. And so at that point, we pay out the adventures based on how long the game runs. Not in terms of like how long it runs, like, like it would for a movie at a movie theater, but in terms of if it's a one-shot, you get paid for one week's worth. If it's one of our five, four to five week adventures, you get paid essentially for four to five weeks instead. Um, and it's a single fee that then just multiplies depending on the number of weeks it would run, which can be a really big boon for some people. To be fair, the tipping can also get a little crazy. We have some people who run about five games a week and they get tipped like a couple hundred bucks. Some people are running the same amount of games and they're getting like five bucks from the people that they play games with. We also make that anonymous, and also the system, they, they tip through uh, like Venmo and PayPal, but our company covers all the fees associated with transfers of monies through those apps. So whatever that customer was trying to tip their Dungeon Master, that Dungeon Master gets the full amount. We'll, we'll absorb the fee from like PayPal, because like I tried sending like a gift through PayPal the other day, and they were like, just so you know, there's a fee for just using our app, period. And I was like, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> like, like, I thought that was just for like business transactions, and they were like, nope any money at all i was like oh well that's less awesome but yeah we use both because especially we have customers that exist in canada australia the uk and so paypal is really and not everybody's bank uses venmo still even in the u.s uh, so some people can't sign up for venmo or they choose not to and so paypal has been a little more ubiquitous and people have used that as well in terms of advantage it also it's a big writing community since it is centralized you meet all the other dungeon masters through a discord we have and I'm not sure, I, I think some, I, again, since I'm not currently somebody who advertises and start playing games, I can't truly really speak to it. But from my understanding, it's a little more of like a, like a little wider spread community and some DMs might collaborate, but not all of them. And so everybody who works in our system meets everybody else, gets to rub elbows, shoulders and noggins when it comes to creating. And they are, it's still virtual. So we are using a Discord chat. But it is a way for a lot of people to be creative. And frankly, a lot of our Dungeon Masters, by communicating with each other, have done a lot of personal projects and self-published on DMs Guild after meeting and sort of being inspired by the people that work with us. 
And so th- through that, we've seen a lot of growth from some people. Not everybody gets it. Some people show up, they're there for a month. They're like, you know, with my other job schedule, this really isn't for me. Um, and I'm like, I totally understand. Please let me know. You know, generally I give out references unless you did something heinous before you left. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've rarely had to let people go versus them resigning. But when we do let people go, it's usually over something pretty bad. No, that's fair. Uh, what's a typical workload for somebody who is getting hired on? Like what's a minimum number of hours that you really want somebody to be available? Uh, what's the most hours that somebody's putting in week in, week out right now? So we have both subcontractors and full-timers. And for the full-timers, it's 40 hours a week. Uh, I myself am full-time, but I'm also the only like not salaried full-timer. So I work hourly, which works better for me because I'm putting in usually over 40 hours a week. So like 50, sometimes 60, depending on the week. But for our subcontractors, it generally, and our full-timers, they usually are given about 40 hours worth of games that are potentially. And if they don't run, we have other clerical things they can help catch up on, like updating our giant homebrew list of magic items or working on, you know, making sure that everything's been squared away with other types of paper. Because it's, trust me, it's a company, so there's always paperwork. Yeah. And we don't have any other type of admin or support staff for certain types of paperwork. They are with the parent company. And they occasionally bless us by offering us uh, their work, like the finance department and other members of the uh, office management at AIT's home office. They help us out sometimes, and we're very grateful. But a lot of the other general stuff we do on our own, uh, all internally. And it's really just me, four full-timers, and then a bunch of subcontractors. And for the subcontractors, we start at one game, one character creation, see how it moves into, because we don't want to overburden anybody. And really, you just need one game per week to stay on our roster. And we even have people who take leaves of absences for personal reasons. Maybe they are trying to navigate a new job. They don't want to overburden themselves. Sometimes it's a bereavement issue. And sometimes it's just people need a little bit of a mental health hiatus or they've got conventions, travel, vacations. We're not going to just take them off our roster because they need time off. For full-timers, obviously, there's like a PTO process. But for subcontractors, it's a little more free. It's a little more loosey-goosey. And generally, we start people off with one game, and then as their schedule allows, we try to then fill in the process with other games. Usually, people don't go beyond, for subcontractors, more than five to six games a week. Historically, I think we only have one or two people right now who have five games a week. Sometimes people will be really enthusiastic when they start, and they're like, yeah, I'm ready to put a game on each one of these days. And it's like, great. Well, we do actually have a lot of competition for game slots on those days. And so adding another slot right there right now might not work in our favor. It might divide the number of players. Um, which actually we start to lose money off of that because if there's a low number of players in a bunch of games, those DMs are still getting paid the same, but we're not getting in the same amount of cash. Um, and so that's bad for everybody. So we try to generally have them fill up a game and have people learn who they are as a dungeon master. So their popularity starts to spread. Each each DM's like their own little cult in a way, it's a little cult of personality. <laughs> but you know, without all the the usual stuff that comes with the cult. Um, I would hope so. Well, I mean, so far, <laughs> still so, time. so far, hoping to stay that way. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so we get them to know each person, DM. and then true, tr- truly. <laughs> um, and ultimately, it's really how much they're willing to take on, as well as how much the community is invested in their games. So if everything's if everything's going well, they just take on as many as they want. And if things aren't going well, we might be like, let's scale it back or move that to another day. Let's figure out the schedule here. Awesome. All right. So I have one last question. Uh, I I love currency. I love meta currencies. My understanding is you have something special that you're managing as a meta currency. 
tied to Camp Dragon? We have a couple of things. We have our main pseudo currency or meta currency, Dragon Coins, which is our big thing. And that respect is essentially people just buy the Dragon Coins and they can use those to pay for game time. Because really, that's the only thing we want people to be paying for. We don't want them to be paying for extra cosmetics or the ability to do this or that. Um, we really just ultimately what they pay for that is something they buy physically is game time with Dungeon Masters. Then in addition to that, we have two other things that we track, which is gold and something called Mythic Coin. And it gets a little weird because we say the word gold and everyone immediately is like, so we're talking about the gold that's in 5e, that gold. And we're like, yes, but also no. <laughs> um, in that, So we have something called a gold store and a mythic store on our website. And the gold store is pretty simple. It's really just all the items you can get in the player's handbook in that inventory section minus the health potion or the basic healing potion. And that those prices look a little weird to people because they have two extra zeros attached to them. Because at the end of the day, we didn't want our dungeon masters to have to track like six different types of currency. We didn't want them to have to start doing the conversions on Electrum. We didn't want them to be like, so you got three silver, two bronze, five gold, and then 16 platinum. Are you happy now? So we all just <laughs> changed it to one single currency and we made it copper. And so those two extra zeros is just because the price is actually the copper price, but we call it gold. So there's only one thing to track. So sometimes people join our games, and they're like, wait, I got 2000 gold out of that game. Heck yeah. And then we're like, you realize that's only 20 gold, right? Like actual <laughs> 20 gold when it comes to the actual conversion. Mm -hmm. And then mythic coin is essentially just one step above what platinum would be. So it's, you know, it's like 10,000 copper um, instead of 1000. So it's the 10,000 of those copper. And essentially, those are a lot of our, it's like a very mid-tier grab bag of magical items. And those are really just some magical items that you don't see appearing in our games, because we give out a lot of magical item loot in games for a lot of, basically, if there's a plus one for something, you'll probably get it in game. And then everything that's plus three and up, like our artifacts, our legendary items, you can either craft those or get them as a drop within games as well. Usually not the DMG one specifically, but a lot of the ones that are... A lot of our homebrew ones, especially, we've got some really fun stuff out there. Um, and so that's really just for occasionally some seasonal items and a lot of basic stuff. Also, the prices were have been hotly debated on the, the Mythic Store. Prices have been hotly debated on whether or not they're close to the prices of magic items in-game normal way, like it would be priced from the DMG, etc., and to that, I say, I did not make those prices. So <laughs> nobody can be mad at me. I will pass the, I, well, I, I do care. I do deeply care, <laughs> okay. uh, but I will be passing the buck on that one. I did not make those prices. <laughs> Good. Right. Uh, so it, it sounds like, so there's the dragon coins that you use to buy actual game time. So you're not, you're not paying for an in-game currency. You're essentially just paying for hours at the table. And then it sounds like you get both gold and mythic coin just from playtime. So like you can't purchase those with real world dollars. There's no pay to win here. Uh, it, it's a weird system where obviously the longer you play D&D, usually the stronger you get, the more resources you get. But it is very much at this point pay to play, but hopefully not pay to win. It's play to win. The more you play, the more likely you are to get stuff going, which hopefully is the system everybody uses. The more you play a game, the more, the better you get at it or the more resources you get in game. And hopefully that's how you then start to snowball from there. But we didn't want to make it so people could just directly buy their way to the top and then run roughshod over everybody else. So everybody who is making these crazy legendary items where it's like, this is my dragon mind flare beholder bow, whereas I point it, it puts out like a 
anti-magic cone. Also, it does extra psychic damage, and it has an elemental dragon uh, bypassing immunity, and also I get a legendary resistance. All that stuff, they've spent countless sessions accumulating the crafting resources and then sinking the money into it. Typically, we don't specifically offer Mythic Coin uh, as a reward, just the gold, and then we actually have a place for players to convert their gold into Mythic Coin to use in the Mythic Store. That's all through the website. That's all tracked uh, electronically by a computer. And so one of the things they can buy with Mythic Coin that's better than if you're not like, because, you know, not a lot of monks use a lot of the items out there. Maybe they're looking for that that dragon hide belt or some other the new newer Tasha or Fizzman's monk items. But a lot of times monks are just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. So if you have a high-level monk character and a lot of gold sitting around with one of us, you can buy you can buy extra roster slots because we start everybody with five character roster slots. And then after that, you have to buy more because we had an issue in the very beginning with our free character creations where we have a couple veteran players signing up in like 30 different slots a week and like basically squeezing out new players because they had, they just didn't have a cap on how many players they or how many characters they could create. And so we were like, hey, everybody, if you've created 30 characters, we'll grandfather them in from you. But from now on, if you want to add a character, you either have to buy a new slot or you're starting with that just that five. And we found that people put a lot more time and investment into those five characters as opposed to just being like, well, let me just create a new one like I would on like D&D Beyond, but then never play with it um, because they have to actually invest their time in that new character. Okay, I have to, I have to say, I was going to make the joke that if I'm playing a monk and I have enough mythic coin, I can spend my mythic coin to not have to play a monk anymore. And then, <laughs> and then what oh, what you said, it, what what you said is exactly that. I can buy another slot so I don't have to play a monk anymore. <laughs> I will not stand for this monk slander. It's the people that are wrong. Yes, yes, it is. Hey, I love monks. I, I've played a monk in a game that I was a guest star in, and I accidentally changed the course of the whole game by giving one of the one of the guilds in the game a new a new boss for the future. <laughs> and that's why you don't take pieces of elder ubelexes and then put them in your pocket and feed them memory magic. That's a like bad choice. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's that's gonna come back to haunt the regular the regular cast of players. <laughs> but uh yeah. So it's a lot of different things. Yeah. All right. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, I was very excited to be here. I'm really glad to be here. Awesome. All right. So uh, one more time, remind folks where to go if they're looking to sign up to either play in a game or if they're hearing this and thinking, I, I too can be a dungeon master at Camp Dragon. Indeed. Well, luckily they can go to the exact same place. Uh, luckily, it's just campdragononline.com. All one word, all lowercase no spaces. It's very easy to get to just Camp Dragon online. That's almost all of our social media, as well as uh, if you'd like to contact me personally with any ideas or recommendations of becoming a dungeon master, my handle on pretty much everything that is appropriate for you to follow me on is at seed of ye. So S E E D O F Y E E. That's TikTok, Instagram, maybe discord if you want to send a friend message but generally we're here for questions and we also have a question button on the website as well if you want to send us a form question i'm the only one who reads those so you're sending it to me <laughs> folks at home you're listening right now and you're thinking i want to do that but what words did he just say you don't have to rewind there's a link in the show notes just open up the show notes click it and uh yeah go play dungeons and dragons online at camp dragon on a quick side note, uh, we, I will be at Gen Con this past weekend, both in my official capacity with Camp Dragon and for my own personal reasons. So if you'd like a free Camp Dragon shiny holographic sticker, 
please come by and say hi to me. Or if you'd like to find out more about some recent personal self-published items, please also come say hi. Awesome. Maybe we have a link in the show notes for those two. Let's see. Do you, um, pop quiz, and I hope this doesn't have anything. You have a booth at Gen Con. Is that what you're saying? It won't officially this time be a official booth. We have had sort of kind of a booth situation in the past. This time, it's really just going to be me roaming around the floor. <laughs> okay. All right. But I have several hundred stickers, so help okay. me. Please, right. <laughs> please take them. I'm, I'm imagining people just walking around the floor like, Daniel W. Yee. Daniel W. I'm going to get one of those uh, those sort of like dollar bill guns and just try to put the stickers in and just <laughs> shoot them off as I walk through. Just <laughs> click, so click, it, click. All has anybody seen Daniel yet? I don't know, but there's some dude over there making stickers, Ryan. Maybe that's him. Let's go. <laughs> Probably a good bet. Hopefully. <laughs> Look for the six foot two half Asian guy with a beard and. Actually, there's going to be a lot of those people in Gen Con. Never mind. It's not as good. It's a good script for these days. Passing out stickers. Like a good quarter of the Gen Con crowd, I would say. Yeah. It's, it's easier to describe yourself of that when you live in Missouri and you're trying to be like, yeah, I'll be that guy at the football game. <laughs> less, less easy at Gen Con. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tyler and I will be at Gen Con as well. Uh, RPG Bot also doesn't have a booth, but if you're there, you happen to see us, we'd love to see you. We'll have RPG Bot gear on. Uh, I'll probably be wearing an RPG Bot dot hat. He'll have an RPG Bot dot shirt. I might have an RPG Bot dot sweater, depending on what the weather looks like. Uh, <laughs> Try to find all of you. <laughs> we'll be incidentally cosplaying as uh, Fry and Lars from Futurama, <laughs> because I have recently uh, shaved my head bald. I don't think Tyler agreed to that, buddy. <laughs> no, I think he did. Look at his face. I, no. I think the peer pressure is starting to get to him. I think, I think the community's approval is going to perhaps force his hand. Let, let's Fry talk can about grow a beard. Okay, that's fair. I'm sure there's an iteration of Fry with a beard. All right. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You will find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rbgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I can pull off a delivery boy. I don't know. What oh, if you, you were an could. executive delivery boy? Executive? Okay. Yeah. I'll, okay. I think. Yeah, I, I think the key is going to be the pizza box. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>